Hi everyone, this is Hino Kilma. Before we begin this episode, on behalf of the Ubuntu podcast, we want to raise our concerns regarding the stories that have been circulated by our fellow Nigerians, both in-country and within the diaspora, regarding police brutality and widespread human rights violations through the country's special anti-robbery squad, otherwise known as SARS. What's been shared through social media has truly been distressing, and as the Ubuntu podcast, we support the Nigerian people as they seek justice and true change in regards to police reform. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. This is the Ubuntu Podcast. Hello, hello, hello. This is David and I am one of three co-hosts at the Ubuntu podcast. And it is so awesome to be in front of the mic with you all. After a short hiatus, right? I miss you all and I'm about to introduce my other co-hosts, but I want to say thank you for tuning in to season two, episode one of the Ubuntu podcast. For those of you who are new to us, definitely check out our podcast season one on all places to listen to podcasts and know that this, this podcast, the Ubuntu podcast, Our mission is to create a radically thoughtful space for the African diaspora to come together and to think about all the different ways and the stories and the experiences and the nuances of each of our our different lives to really come together and to talk about forming community, forming genuine solidarity across the world. And so... I don't do this alone. Come on, co-hosts. Introduce yourself. Say hi. Who we got on the phone today with us? What's up? I am on the line. How's it going? This is Natty. Excited for episode one. Let's go. Hey, everyone. This is Hano Kilma. Excited to be here again. Uh, Glad to be on. All right. Yes. So you all, we have just wrapped an incredible season one. You know, we finished that up in, 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 in the beginning of summer of 2020, and we've had the most unprecedented, strange, unexpected, unexplainable past couple of months, past year. I mean, 2020 has been straight out of a movie, and we have seen the lives of the entire world, but truly the lives of so many African, so many African diaspora communities upended, fortified, threatened, strengthened. I mean the gambit of things and possibilities and so I want to take this locally and I want to talk about you guys I want to talk about my fellow brothers my co-hosts how are y'all feeling about everything I mean we're in month 88 (laughs) of quarantine and we're at home for those who don't know we are located in three different locations two different states spanning the entire U.S. and we haven't seen each other and we are we're virtual for every portion of our lives what is this moment in this season been like for you all and I want you if you could give it a word to describe what this experience has been like you know what's that word for you yeah I think it's new new normal, right? Uh, people use that word a lot, but to me what that means is that you have adjusted your patterns, right? Your daily kind of processes to fit in with the environment that you're surrounded by. And so we know that this is kind of a remote environment that we're in. Um, I think for a while it was challenging in that, you know, I'm someone who naturally likes to go 
out and and move around and meet people and uh, so i think for a while it was pretty tough um just being kind of quarantined at home and of course still taking a lot of precautions but thankfully i have been able to you know engage with some friends and and, and hang out a little bit and, and get out of the house so that's that's helped it so now it's really just working from home which hasn't been hasn't been too bad i i, I can't complain i think i can relate to a lot of what nazi shared there i think for me i was definitely enjoying going outside just connecting with people and it's a new normal like you said and i think for me it's just taking it one day at a time adjusting and realizing that things will continue to be different things are going to continue to change and so just kind of learning to adapt as you guys have already mentioned so yeah i know there's a lot that's still going to happen it's october and we've got a couple months left but in a way just learning to kind of work through uh, whatever comes our way yes you guys y'all are really dropping gems that is so real i am also definitely trying to find balance i'm trying to find peace you know i'm trying to make sure that there is a real balance and i'm taking care of myself holistically this time has given me the space to do that and so i am just excited that we get to re we get to we get to re-plug into ubuntu and plug into these amazing conversations and give the world exactly what is missing which is more ubuntu more of this podcast more of these amazing amazing conversations i mean because who don't need more of ubuntu am i right yes indeed i mean come on hey and one thing to say on that david i think just to mention um i will say you know it's been a tough time but but i have been really encouraged by just the acts of selflessness that i've seen in the community both local community and you know national international community um, it's been an opera you know obviously when there are tough situations an opportunity for you know people to step up and, and step in and help serve the needs of each other right because at the end of the day we are you know our brother's keeper our sister's keeper and so both in our local our national and kind of our international context uh, just a reminder that you, you know seasons come and go challenges come and go but you know we are one right and, and kind of that mission and message of ubuntu uh, you know I've, I've been seeing that across the globe which has been pretty cool yeah that's great yeah that is such a great beautiful point and it's such a perfect segue into talking a little bit about what this episode and what really this season is going to be about and so we've said it through our own lives everyone's talking about it but we're truly in a moment of unprecedented times i mean we have a global pandemic coinciding with a global uprising that is really changing the game, changing the stakes, and changing the playing field for Black and African communities all around the world. And so our podcasts, our messages, and the people and stories that we uplift on this platform are really more critical than ever. And we really want to explore within this entire season, this idea of unprecedented times and talk to people about the moments in their lives, their careers, you know, and and their own experiences where they've navigated moments and seasons of unprecedented times, whether it be now or in the past and then figure out what we can learn from that as well as how that fits into the current political moment to keep pushing our communities forward. And so I am so excited that we get to start off our season two opener with an incredibly close friend of our podcast and an incredibly close friend of Natty, who I'm going to turn over in just a second and let him give a greater introduction. But before we get into our guest and we get into this amazing episode we're going to have, we are starting off our season two opener with your favorite i mean for some of y'all it's your favorite favorite ubuntu content and so none other than hinnok is gonna kick us off with our first season two africa in the news segment hinnok take it away yeah thanks so much david so for those of you that tuned into our ubuntu at home segment you may have heard in one of our previous africa in the news segments our discussion on 
the situation regarding African migrants in Lebanon, in particular after the explosion that took place within the country. We went into how African migrants are often targeted and even abused and exploited for their own situation on the ground. And so this time, we're actually going to focus on the plight of African migrants in Saudi Arabia. Recent investigations have shown that migrants from the countries of Ethiopia and Somalia have been subjected to massive human rights violations, in particular in detention centers in Saudi Arabia that are spread. Photos have emerged from these detention centers in Saudi Arabia that were released by migrants. These photos are released by migrants that show them subjected to harsh, abusive conditions. The director for Human Rights Watch in the Middle East, Adam Kugel, explains how photos emerging from detention centers in southern Saudi Arabia show that authorities there are subjecting Horn of Africa migrants to squalid, crowded, and dehumanizing conditions with no regard for their safety or dignity. To further elaborate on the harshness of the conditions in the detention centers, those that were interviewed in the actual Amnesty International report said that they knew of people who had died. Now, Amnesty International also interviewed 12 detained Ethiopian migrants about conditions in the Al Dayer detention center, the Jizan Central Prison, and the prisons in Jeddah and Mecca in Saudi Arabia. The conditions are particularly harsh in Al Dayer and Jizan, where, where detainees report sharing cells with 350 people, according to Amnesty International. In an article from the New Humanitarian that goes into the plight of African migrants as well, in particular, it goes into trip that Somali migrants take from Yemen into Saudi Arabia. And oftentimes during this travel, uh, they're cheated by traffickers and they're taken advantage of. Now, many African migrants go to Saudi Arabia looking for a better life in the same way that other migrants go to other countries in the Middle East. We focused on the plight of African migrants that have traveled to Lebanon. And so very similarly, most of those that go to Saudi Arabia are looking for a better life. And many of them are African women who find employment illegally as maids uh, in homes as well. For those of you that are interested in learning more about this investigation and the current plight of African migrants around the world, we will be linking relevant articles per usual. We want to thank all of you for tuning in to this edition of Africa in the News. Awesome. Thank you so much for that, for that um, Africa in the news, Hanok. I think the, the, just the story of, you know, migration that we're seeing around the world right now is a really important one to share. Um, so, so thank you for those insights and for bringing that conversation to light. And I'm sure it's something that we'll touch upon more, you know, moving forward in, in later episodes or seasons. But now I have the distinct honor of welcoming the one, the only Abner Broplay himself. We are so excited to have you, Abner. Welcome on to the podcast. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here and I just love what y'all do. Hey, hey, well, I, I, let them know. Let them know. Sorry. We just we just got to ask this. Where uh, where are you joining us from right now? Right now, I am joining you from Monrovia, Liberia. Oh, where? hey, you hear that? He said he said I'm on the ground. I am. I'm in the continent. <laughs> we we are transcending uh, continents yeah. here during COVID. We appreciate it, bro. I'm I'm happy to be here. And you know anything when you say can you do this? I'm gonna say yes. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so just to give you guys a little context, uh, Abner is my closest friend and brother. We have known each other. Actually, it's funny. We I just sent him a screenshot yesterday of a message uh, chain that we had from 11 years ago. So we were uh, we were early in our high school high school tenure, um, and so we have 
have known each other for a long time. He has grown to be my, my best friend and, and really just, uh, you know, a brother to me. And it's been a blessing to know him, um, to be pushed by him also, just to see the way that he's gone after his goals and, and the things that, that you know, he's wanted to achieve in his life. Um, and, and last season, we ended by actually interviewing Isaac, uh, Isaac Cujo, and we discussed his organization um, return um, and, and the return movement, which really focuses on reconnecting diaspora with their roots. And we thought, who better than to to talk to now than Abner, who, you know, grew up in the States mostly, um, has spent some time in Liberia and, and also in the Caribbean, um, and now has actually made the decision, him and his wife, Kylie, to move back to Liberia and really get planted and rooted there um, and start to, you know, build his career um, there and, and, and build a legacy and impact um, within, within um, his home country. And, you know, Kylie works as an education consultant in Liberia, and Abner has worked for, you know, some international health agencies there and has several, uh, several, several side projects. He does not um, stay idle. He is very busy. And so we really know it's not easy for you to join uh, right now. It takes, uh, it takes you know, some prioritizing and planning. We've been having this in the works for the last couple of months. So thanks again for, for making some time for us, bro. Of course, of course. I wouldn't miss it. Awesome. And so just to start off um, this conversation, uh, could you start just by introducing yourself a little bit to our listeners? Let us know, you know, who you are, where you're from. I know you let us know you're in Liberia right now and what Ubuntu means um, to you. As my brother already said, I'm Abner Brofler. I am a health practitioner. I work in nursing. I work in health management and I work in public health. Some people also call me a farmer, a gardener, a cook all of the above i really like to put myself in a lot of different things mm, he does it all he's a he's a jack of all trades yeah let, let us bless that agribusiness okay uh, we're waiting for that cookbook it's coming it's coming <laughs> yes 2021 <laughs> yes that's the fire i need um and you know i i'm from i'm from maryland i was born in maryland um but i am liberian American, I guess, is what you would say. I call myself Liberian anyway. You know, I take pride in being a son, a husband, a brother, a friend, nephew, grandson, so on, all the titles. And, you know, I think that's important to me because it also kind of ties in with Ubuntu, where you talk, where it's like you're a part of something, you're a part of someone, you're a part of humanity, right? So it's like, it's like I, I take pride in being a part of this body that is humanity. I take it in the same way as I would being part of the body of Christ, you know? So, you know, we all have different functions, all different gifts, but we're all part of one body. And the same thing in humanity. So Abner, give us a bit more background on your ethnicity. So we know that you have this really diverse history with Liberia and someone who is very close to those roots. How did you practically keep in touch with them, you know, your roots during all the years that you were in the U.S.? How did you maintain this really close connection, you know, despite the big physical distance? That's a very good question. And I, you know, I have been thinking about that a lot recently. Last year, my grandfather died. And that's when I started really thinking about my identity. And so I think back and I'm like, well, I had my grandparents. I lived with my grandparents for a short while. And then as being African, being Black, we don't really have like extended family, as many of y'all know. We just have family, yep, everyone's right? Family, yep. Like, yeah, definitely. You got your aunts, your, your uncles, your friends. Who, if you've been somebody's friend for more than like five years, <laughs> y'all family. You know, like, <laughs> you know, you got your, 
you got your cousins, all of that. So I think that was a big part of like being able to stay connected to my roots as a Liberian. Another part of it is, as y'all mentioned, my diverse background. So I like to call myself a, a mix of black. Okay, I'm, I'm black. But, you know, I got different types of black. I mean, I got the Liberian indigenous black. I got the African-American black. I got the Caribbean black and so on. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, that just goes to show the history of Liberia, where we had, you know, formerly enslaved people settle in Liberia, meeting people there. And, you know, these formerly enslaved people didn't just come from the States, but they also came from the Caribbean and other places in Africa, actually. But... That's my that's that's my identity and that's what makes up the Liberian culture. And I think being in the States actually helped with some of that because, for example, my grandmother's grandmother was born in South Carolina and she was a Gullah person. I don't know if y'all know what that is, but it's like a little subgroup. Okay. Yeah. So she was from South Carolina, from the Sea Islands, and you know, growing up in the States, my dad was a Methodist pastor, you know, black people. Methodist, Baptist, AME, those are the big denominations. So I grew up going to a black church for a large portion of my childhood and my father being the pastor. And, you know, I don't know how to disconnect a lot of our African-American experiences from church. You know, the church was the fulcrum. So I feel like that was a big way for me to connect, listen to gospel music, singing gospel music, being around my people in the spiritual, you know, setting. That definitely, like helped me stay connected to another part of my my roots um and also food i think food was the biggest thing my grandmother always had you know for a long time had sunday dinners we always would gather around the table and we'd have you know liberian style collard greens and we'd have cornbread and then we'd have biscuits and all those and there was always a story to go along with it and i think all of that really just helped me hone in on my identity and stay connected as a liberian man that is super powerful so Abner, I think you brought up a lot of really interesting points there about how just growing up, you were in a bunch of different African cultures. And I think it connects a lot to Ubuntu's overall mission of the African diaspora, of us showing that the diaspora is not a monolith and there are so many interconnections between African cultures around the world. So I actually want to transition and talk about the big move that you had. So you've been living in the States for a long time and for all those years, but for some reason you felt led to move back to Liberia. Could you walk us through what that process was like for you and what sparked that initial desire to go back? For a long time, I always, like, as a kid, I was like, oh, I want to go to Liberia. I want to be in Liberia. And, you know, Liberia was going through a war, so there's no way I was going to go there as a, and live there as a kid and as a young person. What really, like, sparked it was seeing my grandfather serve Liberia and my grandparents and my mother, like, talking about how, you know, Liberia was a great place to grow up, a great place to be, but a place I need a lot of help. I also saw, like, my parents and grandparents, like, have um, organizations that helped, you know, benefit Liberia. And I think that just sparked my interest to go back. But then I saw, you know, the need. I went as, you know, after college, I was like, you know, I'm gonna go to Liberia. I went to Liberia and I'm like, whoa, okay. There's a lot of need here. There's a lot of things here that I, I can do. I can be here. I can be part of like the rebuilding process, right? The transition to get here was, it's, it's a, it was a lot. You know, Liberia is not as developed. We don't have a lot of, you know, infrastructure. I can't go and just buy like, a lot. I had to ship a lot of things to Liberia. You know, my belongings, things that, you know, I feel like in America, we don't even think about, like mouthwash, yeah. like <laughs> little things like that. Right. Um, 
Not that we don't have mouthwash here. Before somebody goes say exactly. we don't have no mouthwash yeah, in my beer. We got it. It's just expensive. Yeah, we got to make sure people. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but the process was really. It was. It was just. It was a lot, and it was. It was like. It was. It was difficult because you see, my grandfather. I moved to Liberia in 2019, and my grandfather died a month before I moved here. We buried him a week, the weekend before I, like a few days before I landed on Liberian soil. It was tough. I had just gotten married. So much had happened. My mother had gotten married. It was like you know, condolences and congratulations, all of that, you know. So. You know, before my grandfather died, I told him, I said, Grandpa, I'm moving back to Liberia. He said, wow, that's good. You know, in this point, he's very sick. He's, you know, laying in bed and he's like, it's very good. Go there, but don't make me shame. Keep me, you know, make make me proud. And I was like, okay, I will. I'll do that, Grandpa. And so coming here, I felt like a little bit of pressure, you know, even though he's not here anymore, like to make him proud. And so there was just like a lot of um, making sure I don't get caught up in the wrong things while being here, even getting like, like not falling into the process of nepotism and all of that because you know in africa we use connections a lot to get what you need to get which isn't a bad thing but meritocracy is more important you know what you're able to do is more important so i think there was just a lot of a lot of decision making that's that's really good abner you touched on the complexities of making that transition and you touched on kind of your role as a member of the diaspora and how it felt for you to go back and just in a way how how complicated that can be um when you looked at the need that was there and you wanted to help as a member of the diaspora but you had you know all those things going on in your personal life as well and you know even with your your late grandfather as well i think that is just a tough transition overall to experience during that time, did you have any doubts as you prepared to make the move? And I guess during your transition, what do you feel like was the most surprising part? Um, I definitely had doubts. Moving here with my wife, who is not Liberian, only came to Liberia one time, and then trying to figure out like, okay, how do we just go into this not having much family here? You know, both of our support systems are in America. So it was just, I was, I was definitely like, oh, I don't know how I'm gonna do it. I guess the most surprising thing would be that we did it and we're still doing it and we're here, right? Yeah. It's a tr- it was it's it's a lot. It's a, it's different. It's a change. It's I'm in a whole new environment as an adult. You know, it's different being a child and being like under you know your parents or a family person's care, and now you're an adult. You have to fend for yourself. So a lot of times, you know, for us in the diaspora, for y'all in the diaspora, I ain't there. For y'all in the diaspora, <laughs> you said I'm a you know, Yeah, I live here. for y'all in the diaspora i think a lot of times we come we come to our countries or we visit the continent and we're like oh yeah you know i could do this and you kind of forget that you you can do it but you're also under somebody's care or you've made you've made these arrangements right and you know you're gonna go back to your place of residence. Now, when I came, it was like, oh man, I'm here. Like, I can't just run back to America. It was sobering. And I think the most surprising thing is really just being able to be here and all the negative things you kind of think about in the back of your head, them not happening or them happening and you overcoming it. I think that was the most surprising part for the transition for me, being being able to say, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm here, I did it, and I'm doing it. Because I really thought at one point I wasn't gonna be 
able to. And I think that what you're talking about is it's so real, right? Like there you have first of all, you just have a lot of things happening personally at that time. And then now you're trying to make this big transition. You're newly married. Uh, there's a whole transition in just like that stage of life. And so piling that on with transition of like, you know, location and where you're living and what your life will look like, the, there's just a lot building up. And then the year that we've had, you know, I'm sure has been quite a surprise for all of us, given that we are still in the midst of a pandemic. And so uh, could you just talk us a little bit through what your experience has been like in this first year living in Liberia as someone who has returned home and gone through their first year on the continent in the continent during this pandemic and still right we're still going through this pandemic globally what has that been like for you it was very tough i remember i mean i called you and i was like man i don't know if i'm be able to come home because <laughs> you know i have two homes liberia and the state so i'm like i don't know and i was really scared because we had shut down our airport here they everywhere was shut down we were shut down here to the point of like i could not leave my individual community we had a short window. We were on lockdown. We had a short window where we could go out, get food and supplies, and then come back home. And it was like, I don't I don't remember the times, but I want to say like I had to be back in my house by like one o'clock. And some things don't open until 10. So if I have to go to the grocery store, I need to make sure I'm there on time. And if I and if I'm back a little bit late, sometimes the police will stop you and you know you gotta explain. And it's just a lot. It was a lot. And um being being here though also it was tough but it was also inspiring because Liberians like we don't have electricity all the time like even right now I don't have electricity all the time I have a generator that I put on and turn off and many Liberians don't have that like that's a luxury for a lot of us over here I just want people to imagine like going through a lockdown and you can't go to the grocery store. You have to go to the market and you have to get fresh chicken or something. What do you do when you don't have refrigeration? Like all of those things, being here, like encountering that, seeing that was just, wow. I had, I grew to respect and admire and love our people a little bit more because you had these women and these children and these people just going out there and trying to make the best of whatever they could. I mean, I ain't glorifying struggling now, but I'm just saying we are resourceful over here we make the best we were resourceful and resilient we make the best of what we can make the best of but luckily now we only have like 34 cases covid is not really a big issue here we're still maintaining protocol no masks no entry temperature checks a lot of places we have quarantine centers i think liberia is really trying and i think you know that goes to show that you know africans we can do this we we i think we're a little more prepared than the than the quote-unquote west and we're doing much better than them, if I'm being honest, from my professional opinion. Yeah, that's such great insight. And I want to follow up with that question. You you kind of already answered this a bit in some of your other responses, but if you could go a little bit more into detail, what are what's like a unique challenge that you've encountered in Liberia in your everyday life? And what have you learned from these experience or these experiences or experience? I know people often talk about various factors that quote unquote can hold Africa back, right? But I want to know from your vantage point. What is something that you have noticed that is a challenge for current contemporary context in Africa? And and what is a challenge that if resolved would really push the continent forward? Wow, that's a loaded question. Uh, <laughs> a lot of the challenges, you know, besides the electricity type thing, and also sometimes I didn't have water running in my house, but that's a whole different thing. Outside of those things, I think a lot of things, a lot of what we encounter here outside of infrastructural, you know, stuff is you have a large quantity
quantity of people who are not educated. And when you have an uneducated population, I'm not talking about just like, yes, everyone, I think people should be able to read and write literacy and math, all, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic is important, but you're, I'm talking about people who are just not educated on the slightest things, such as like sometimes, you know, health, diabetes, uh, high blood pressure, how to cook, how to eat well, you know, to, to live, those type of things. I think that is the biggest thing, you know, right now in Liberia, I can speak for Liberia, that's like, I guess, holding us back in a sense. And I've learned that, you know, a lot of, a lot, I've learned through that is like people, people will look at that and be like, like, man, like these librarians, they don't know how to do this. They don't know how to do that. I've heard these things. I work in the NGO sector and I hear how they talk about us and they forget that when people are taught better, they do better. So that's something I've learned. I've learned that when you're in these situations where you get frustrated that, you know, this woman is complaining about her sugar. Oh, my sugar done gone up. But every day she's eating carbs and eating tons of fruit. Fruit is good. But when you got diabetes, you got to be careful, you know, all of that. And you, and then, you know, she's eating it and you're like man why are you eating all that like no you got to teach somebody you know excuse me ma'am you, you know this this is why your sugar's going up if you teach somebody something and they're receptive most of the time they'll be receptive to it because they want to do better people want to live people want to to improve it's a natural human instinct to want to progress i think one challenge i would say that i've noticed in a lot of parts of Africa that I've experienced, I believe is the fact that it might be three things. I'm sorry, y'all, I can't pick one, <laughs> but is that we don't, a lot of times we don't put people in leadership positions that, you know, they're, they're not qualified. A lot of people are in le leadership positions and they're not qualified for them. We don't follow meritocracy a lot here. We're not always honest about how we're doing things here. There's a lot, there's not a lot of transparency and, you know, we don't always do what's practical. A lot of times in a lot of our countries, here we we look at what europe is doing or we look at what you know america is doing We're like oh we need to do that no like we don't need to be copycat we need to do we need to be pragmatic so what works in america might not work in liberia but it might work in ethiopia right like every place is different so you have to you know customize some of these these policies these initiatives all of it you need to customize it to where we are and that's a big i think that's a big problem that we have is that we kind of just want to copy and paste and we don't want to like actually create a new thing. And then another thing is, you know, we don't pick people based on man. We're not preparing people to be leaders. When you sit, when you put somebody, see, I'm about to talk about my government. Let me, I'm gonna give an example if that's okay. We had a reshuffle recently in the in the government, and we had somebody go from being a minister of minister of uh, information to now being minister of a commissioner of the maritime. We had people just shuffle in these different places, and you're trying to figure out how can you be minister of information one day and be the commissioner of the maritime authority. And how does that work? What are your credentials? And a lot of times in Africa, we do that. And it's not just Africa now, because we, I tell you, we have some advisors in some, some white houses. <laughs> but um, anyway, so you would you know, that's, I think those three things really transparency, um, meritocracy, honesty, those three things really like are the biggest things that I think would change, it would push the country forward if we really were serious about honing in on that. Wow, that's really great insight. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think that all of those those factors are 
are key to you know shifting the paradigm from the ground up right and that's really what you're what you're getting at beyond the access issues the you know infrastructure and things like that 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 are often talked about i think that these core core factors that you've mentioned can translate themselves into a lot of areas they can translate to you know the 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 way that infrastructure is developed the way that partnerships are built with other countries right the way that resources are doled out within the country and even the way that the country is governed right you touched upon that with uh, that that position transitioning and so i actually want to lean a little bit more into the, the 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 topic of kind of governance or beyond just governance also like community response community organization and i know that you've also been very involved in the black lives matter protests in liberia um so could you tell us a little bit about what the ground level reaction has been like in the country um and also with the you know here at the ubuntu podcast we love to you know equip and resource people so if there are any organizations doing great work in the country um that are partnering with the efforts that are happening in the u.s to promote racial equality you know would love for you to to share those as well yes i was i was involved in the black lives matter stuff here and it was it was interesting to see because you see i consider myself liberian yes but i also consider myself african-american black american in liberia we don't have like we have we have different races of people we have foreigners here we have you know foreign groups that have been here for decades and maybe centuries at this point now but most of us we're all black and for the liberian that hasn't traveled for the liberian that hasn't been exposed sometimes they can't understand this whole black lives matter thing sometimes because it's out of their context to them black lives already matter what are you talking about right like my life matters your life matters like you know that's how they see things through that lens and then sometimes when they hear these things and they see these things happening overseas they're like okay but what are you trying to say are you trying to say that these other lives don't matter and it's something you hear in the states too from specific groups and it's a little bit shocking but um I would say it was a mixed reaction here in Liberia. You know, you had people that completely understood it. And I believe a lot of that is because they were more exposed. You know, they they, they they either have traveled outside of Liberia into predominantly white areas, or they just, they maybe they have a connection there, a family member, you know. There's something, there's an exposure that happens with certain Liberians that sensitizes them to the struggle of our African-American brother and sisters in, in you know, going through that racial inequality, going through that that police brutality, going through that, you know, dog whistle stuff where you just feel oppressed and you get tired and you're angry. They understand, you know, they, they can understand that because they're exposed. Here, we had a vigil for the our African-American brothers and sisters in the States that were really just like, you know, going through it. We had a vigil here. We remembered them. And those, and a lot of that was done by the fraternities and sororities, Black fraternities and sororities. They, they came about and they brought this event up and it was just... It was nice to see because a lot of Liberians came through for that during a pandemic where we had to keep all the, you know, health protocols in place. They came through and they we we resonate you know it resonated with people we we were we were hurting too and we were praying and we were hoping you know what can we do what more can we do unfortunately i personally don't know a lot of um organizations that are doing work with you know organizations there um i will say though you know there are a lot of good organizations here who their leaders were the ones who led this so i have we have people like um desmond diggs for teach for liberia and you know he's working on he he was really big He's one of the organizers of it. And he he's part of um he's also uh from the fraternity Alpha Phi Alpha and um 
you know, he really was pushing, you know, this Black Lives Matter thing, trying to get Liberians to understand it. And, you know, my wife works for his organization. He's also my god brother. So there's a lot of, you know, co-mingling there. <laughs> but, um, but um, no, he really did a good job with that. And then you have, like, um, Warda Yuri, who is a, she's a social media influencer, but she also is in PR and different things. And she uses her social media platform and she also does YouTube and she's she's a very busy person. All these people that I mentioned, they're very busy and very like in different things. And I, I just love them. They do such great things. They they were really just trying to get us to understand over here what's going on over there. And they were trying to kind of bridge that gap and realize that when a Liberian or when an African leaves Africa and goes to America, you're black. I was gonna use another word, but it's okay. Um <laughs> You know, when you leave Africa, when you leave the Caribbean, when you leave your wherever you from when it is black and you come to America, it doesn't they don't see your background. You know, I've been through these experiences in America. They don't care that my grandfather was an ambassador. They don't care that I come from, you know, a what they would call like a nice pedigree, a great background. They don't care that my dad has a PhD, that my mom got three degrees. They don't care about that. They don't see that. They see skin. To get people to understand that in a way that, in a place where they don't have to do that. You know, like, it's like, everybody black here. They don't, it's hard. So that event that these people organized, and I definitely left out a lot of people's names. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, you know, that, I think part of that event and just, like, having that march, having all that. We marched here over here. I forgot about that. They did a march. I didn't I didn't join the march because of, you know, the health protocol stuff. But I was at the event. And just trying to get people to understand that was just a really big thing for me. And I just hope that in the future, as time progresses, we can all start to see each other as brothers and sisters, as people who are connected, you know, real Ubuntu and try and help one another out because we all have struggles and I feel like we all could help each other. We all have different insights that could make one another's lives better, no matter what shore you, you, you're you on. It's really powerful, Abner. I think the fact that you went into the to the context of how in African countries, there is a level of solidarity with Black Lives Matter, but at the same time, there are folks that are asking similar questions to what we see here in the US. So I think the fact that into that is really interesting and I think it kind of overlays all the similarities and differences that are there from the context of someone who's living in an African country compared to someone who's living in the States. But we want to actually cap off what's been a really great interview by asking you this question. This is a question that we ask uh, our guests and it aligns with our overall goal at Ubuntu. Now, it's something that we want to give for our listeners to ponder on as well. So at Ubuntu, given that our mission is to bring African people from all over together because we believe we're better together than apart, during this unprecedented time, if you could speak to every single member of the diaspora, the African diaspora across language, geography, and borders, what would you say? It's important that we all stick together, but it's also important that we make sure that we're treating ourselves good. You know, during this time, self-care is important. Staying connected to your spiritual source, for me, is Jesus. I cling to Jesus a lot during these times, right? I, I read my Bible a lot during these times. I do it every day. Good times are bad. I praise him every day. Good times are bad. But you stay in with your spiritual source. I know everybody not Christian, so I ain't trying to put that on you. But stay connected to your spiritual source. Take care of yourself. Because when you're able to take care of yourself and fill yourself up, you're going to be a cup that's overflowing, able to help other people when they're going through this stuff. So I always, I think 
think it's just, you know, it's, it's like that. That's that kind of flow that happens. If you're full, if you're taking care of yourself, if you're being the best you can be, if you're being purposeful, living out what you know, there's, you know, what you're supposed to do. Everybody has a calling. So find that out. Live up to that, you know, that calling and treat people better. Treat us like we're all one another, like we're the same because we're all part of this body, you know? And I think that would just do it all. That would just, that would help all of us. Well said, well said. Well, thank you so much, Abner, for joining us for this conversation. And it's been an enlightening one for, for all of us. You know, we've gotten to really get a, get a firsthand perspective on someone who really is living through an unprecedented time, both globally, but also personally, um, as you've transitioned from being a member of the diaspora, as you mentioned, one of y'all, <laughs> as you said, to, to being a resident within the country, starting to understand, you know, what it's like to live to live there locally, what are the challenges, the struggles, but also what are some of the blessings, right, that you see there? What are the, the, the examples of resilience and resourcefulness that you mentioned and, and getting that experience? So thank you so much for for sharing your story, you know, what you've what you've been experiencing, and then also, you know, kind of pulling out some key nuggets for us to think about as a diaspora on how we can, you know, better engage with one another and how we can continue to serve our brothers. So thank you so much, bro. It's been such a blessing to have you on today. And, you know, I'd love to have you again sometime soon. I'm gonna just throw that out there. <laughs> thank you, Abner. Yeah, it was really great to have you on. Abner, thank you. You have been awesome. Such a great guest. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.